a typical Mother's Day passage, but I want you to bear with me. Uh, since this is Mother's Day, I thought we could enjoy the day just a little bit. Well, they say that a, that a mother's love is unconditional. Her temper, on the other hand, is another thing entirely, right? They say that a good mom will let you lick the beater when she's done mixing the batter, and a great mom will turn it off first. You know, fathers are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of their household, but we forget the influence that, that mothers have. Um, in the scriptures, the ultimate responsibility for the teaching and training about spiritual things belongs to dad, uh, but, but, but mom's influence is immeasurable, <clears throat> and we don't want to forget that. There are some things, though, very practical things that we learned from our moms as we grew up. So your mom's taught us foresight. Make sure you have clean underwear on in case you're in an accident. Right? They taught us about medicine. And if you fall out of that tree and break your leg, don't come running to me. My mom said that to me. All right? this is, I mean, she really told me that. They taught us about religion. You'd better pray that comes out of the carpet. <laughs> they taught us time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Yeah. Corey's shaking his head like he's heard that before, have you? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, they taught us uh, genetics. You are just like your father. Yeah. Taught us paradoxes, too. Shut your mouth and eat your dinner. They taught us contortionism. Will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? <laughs> Taught us about the circle of life. I brought you into this world. I will take you out. Yeah, I, I, I heard that a couple times, too. Yeah. Um, and then anticipation. Just wait. Just wait till your dad gets home. And then anxiety, they taught us by calling us by our full names, right? That was, that was never a good thing. See, moms, moms know. They, they, just, they just know. They know the kitchen utensils are probably going to be used outside shoveling dirt, right? They know that having sticky floors and dirty ovens means that they have happy kids. They know that dried Play-Doh does not come easily out of shag carpet. They know that they'd like to be able to eat a whole candy bar all by themselves and drink a pop without any floaties in it. So you've not experienced parenthood until you've had to chug down a pop with Cheeto floaties with a straight face so that your youngin wouldn't feel bad. Mothers are incredible, influential teachers. We want to look at Matthew chapter 20 this morning. We want to look at verses 20 to 23 which I understand uh, is an odd passage, but again, I want you to bear with me. Matthew 20, uh, verse 20. And then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children uh, with her sons, worshiping him, this is worshiping Jesus, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, 
the one on the um, one on thy right hand, the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what you ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they, being the boys, said unto him, We are able. He said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. Now again, this text is usually preached to showcase some negative attitude, some wrong thinking, and it does have that application. Uh, without, without question. Uh, this, this lady here, most scholars believe that, that the woman in our text is, is, is a woman by the name of Salome. Uh, we come to this conclusion by looking at the women who held vigil at the cross. I want you to bear with me so you see how I got this. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 56, it says, Among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. If you look at it in Mark, chapter 15 and verse 40, it says, There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Joseph, and Salome. And then looking at John, chapter 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. So it seems from this that, that, that she is Mary's, uh, the mother of Jesus, is Mary's sister. So, so she, she's Jesus' aunt, Salome, which means that James and John, the Zebedee brothers, were probably Jesus' first cousins. Now, at, at, at first blush, it's a story of a mother, Salome, trying to get her two boys cushy jobs with the state. We all know that government jobs are, in most cases, to be desired. The boys have been brought up by their father Zebedee to be fishermen. We know this from Matthew chapter 4. It was hard physical work, which would have had made a, a, a hard, high-mileage life. When she talks to Jesus about uh, Jesus' kingdom here, she's, she's not thinking about the spiritual heavenly kingdom, but rather... Th- really as, as a kingdom that, that would overthrow the Romans who were occupying Israel, uh, you know, restore Israel's former glory. Like so many, even the disciples themselves, she misunderstood the nature of Jesus' kingdom. I mean, working as one of the king's advisors seemed a whole lot easier than, than, than living a life as a, as a fisherman in Galilee. In these four verses, we're going to see some how-tos or, or maybe some some what-tos that Salome can teach us. The first thing is we, we learn where to go to get God's best for our life. Now Salome, is, she approaches Jesus, she brings her two adult sons with this perceived need, and that is that her sons would find favor with him. Now bad motives aside, all right. She, in her misunderstanding, just seems to have wanted something better for her boys. Now, what mom doesn't want something better for their children? 
She brings herself and her kids and her requests to the Lord Jesus. Scripture tells us that that's exactly what we need to do. We need to bring our needs to the Lord, and we're told to even bring our wants to him. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, it says, Be and not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask. Now, built into that command is to ask, right? You, I mean, he knows what you need before you ask, but you're supposed to ask. So you bring your needs before him. In Philippians 4.19, says Paul's writing to the Philippian church, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, she recognized that, that, that he is the supplier of needs. God supplies our needs. If we would go to Psalm 34, oh, I'm sorry, 37, verse 4, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he, being the Lord, will give thee the desires of thine heart. Now what this means is that he will cause you to have the right desires. He will cause you to desire the right things, and then the right fulfillment of those desires naturally flows from God. In Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, it says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. So when we humble ourselves, we align our will with God's will. What will he not provide for us the things that we need? Now, when she comes to Jesus, she, she doesn't come alone. Right? She brings her kids. Yes, they're adult kids, but she brings them. And any time a mom brings her kids to Jesus, she is heading the right direction. Even if her motives are wrong, she's still heading the right direction. Even if she misunderstands what she's asking for, she is still heading the right direction. You know, there are some things that are taught and there are some things that can only be caught, right? You ever notice that children imitate their parents? Whether it's words or a sense of humor, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, even the attitude is often copied. Even now, sometimes when I open my mouth, my dad comes out. Oh, horrifying. Your children may not always succeed in, in, in listening to you, but they, were, they, they will never fail to imitate you. They are mirrors of attitude. They are mirrors of tone of voice. See, I learned that if I wanted, if I was just feeling a little froggy and I wanted to jump and I, I wanted to start a fight with my mom or dad, I would answer them in the same tone and inflection that they spoke to me with. Unwise. I would not suggest doing that. If you, if you don't like what's coming out of your kid's mouth, if you don't like their attitude, the first place to look is your own. Nobody's going to aim in that, are they? No. Let me say it again. If you don't like what's coming out of your kid's mouth, if you don't like their attitude, the first place to look is your own. 
Salome worshiped. She came, she worshiped Jesus, fell down at his feet, recognized him as the Messiah, and for all she did wrong, she showed respect and submission. She showed respect and affection. See, her, her, her kids caught some of mom's attitude here because James became a martyr. We know this from Acts 12. Uh, John uh, miraculously, miraculously survived persecution and exile. See, parents, you, you, you need to have this attitude of respect and submission. You need to have the attitude of, of, of respect and affection for Jesus, for his church, for his people, for the leaders that he puts over you, and you need to teach it to your children. Because chances are huge that the attitude of your children towards the Lord and his work and his people will be a reflection of your actions towards those things. There's many things that we can teach our kids advantages that we can try to provide for them for this wealth, education, power, success. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 8 says, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And another meaning for vanity is meaninglessness, emptiness. So, so, so what does it count? Well, in the scope of eternity, it counts for nothing. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Right, this is 12 chapters of Solomon trying every way in life to find fulfillment except God. And he comes to the conclusion, all right, this is my, my, my 12 chapter experiment on where fulfillment comes from. Everything has failed except, he says, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of of man. See, without Jesus, life is meaningless. Without Jesus, life is empty. The greatest advantage that we can give our children is a solid foundation in their relationship with the Lord. They, they won't have it if we as parents don't have it. It's not about being a good Baptist. It's not about being a good church attender, but it's about being a good disciple. It's about being a good follower of Jesus Christ. The next thing that we learn is what to do if Jesus doesn't give us what we ask for. See, Salome asked Jesus for her boys to have seats of honor, seats of prestige, power, authority, uh, to be somebody's in the kingdom, somebody important. Uh, she didn't understand what that would take, but, but she knew at least, she knew who to ask. Her request was based on the promise given back in chapter 19, verse 28, where it says, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Another testimony to, to her heart, where, where her heart was, was that she believed what Jesus said. Now, Jesus said, you know, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what it's going to take to get that answer. Your boys will. But you notice that she didn't say another word. She didn't plead her case. She didn't try to cut a deal under the table. 
She accepted his word as truth. She put everything in, 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 in his hands, and she, she left it there. She trusted him. And that's a great testimony, moms. That's a great legacy to leave for your children, that mom trusts God. She doesn't always understand what God's doing, and, but, but, but mom trusts God. Salome is, is, is the feminine for the... Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. I think her name suits her because, I mean, she had two sons who loved Jesus. Her sons' nicknames were, were sons of thunder, by the way. So raising these two boys might have been like raising two little tornadoes. Uh, but still, uh, her heart was submitted to the Lord. You can't help but have peace when you're trusting his hand, his heart, his word, trusting his promises and when you don't get what you ask for do you turn away from the Lord or do you keep following him see Salome she, she didn't turn from Christ uh, she, she continued to walk with him towards him along with him I, I mean check out who's at the tomb on, on, on resurre resurrection morning it's Mark 16 verse 1 if you want to look there Mark 16 1 it says, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and the Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. She was at the cross. She was at the tomb. She didn't get mad. She didn't get upset. She didn't get bitter. She just kept after Jesus. There's not a lot of indication to say that she wasn't also in the upper room at Pentecost. See, moms, when, when your prayers are not answered the way you want them to be, and often, moms, you pray for your children, you want the best for them, you think you know the route that should take, you think you know what it should look like, but when your prayers aren't answered the way you, you think they should or, or, or the way you want them answered, you remind yourself, that God's promises are true and that tomb is still empty and Jesus is still alive and you press into him, you look to him for your security, for your peace, for your understanding. We've learned where to go when we want the best for our families and what to do when we don't get what we ask for. I want you to, uh, to indulge me here just a little bit. Why, why does a mama love her newborn baby? I mean, for nine months, this baby has bought the mom discomfort and pain. Mom breaks out with pimples, stretch marks, waddles like a duck when they walk. That baby's occupied space that didn't belong to them, ate food they didn't prepare. And to show you, Mom, their appreciation, they do jumping jacks on your bladder at the most inappropriate times. They make you crave weird things. Sardines, peanut butter, watermelon, and pickle juice. Yeah. And then there's, there's the morning sickness, which lasts way past morning, right? But you keep them warm. You keep them safe. Even when they don't give you a thank you, in fact, the moment they're born, they begin to cry, and the first thing that little baby wants is mom. 
I mean, you've been doing the work for nine months now, but there's no break for you. Dad's not equipped. So all the baby wants again is mom. So your head hurts, your back aches, you screamed. Maybe you even swore. You crushed your husband's hand. Every muscle in your body has been stretched and strained. And you, 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 you know, should be angry maybe, but you're not. But see, really, you're, you're far from angry. You've got that, 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 that look of never-ending love on your face. The baby's done absolutely nothing for you, but you're crazy for that little bundle of joy. They brought you pain and nausea, but you love them. They're little wrinkled faces. They say newborn babies are cute, and they are not. <laughs> they look like Winston Churchill. I mean, they're just all, and oh, my goodness. But all you can talk about is how beautiful they are how smart they're going to be because they're holding your finger. He or she is going to keep you up every night for at least the next 18 years, and you don't care. And the reason you don't is because that baby is a part of you. It's, it's your flesh, your blood, your bone, your sinew, your spine. It's your hope. It's your legacy doesn't bother mom in the least bit that the baby gives nothing back at this point. She knows the baby is weak. She knows the baby is helpless. She knows the baby didn't ask to be born into this world and can't do anything for itself right now. And she loves that little baby more than life itself. I want you to take that understanding and I want you to use it to understand the Lord. God knows that we did not ask to be born either. We're his idea. We belong to him. When he sees us, he says often the same things we say. Well, he has my face. He has my eyes. He has my hands. And when we have trusted Jesus to save us from our sins... He even gives us his heart. You've, you've, you've heard it said, and, and I, I think the sentiment is true, that, that if God had one, right, your picture would be on his refrigerator. He doesn't have a refrigerator. What that sentiment expresses is, 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 is the love and, and compassion that God has for his kids. The love of a godly mother for her child is only a small taste of the love that God has for you. When he looks at you, he sees his finest creation. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. But there is, though, one, one thing that, that mars the beauty that he desires for our lives. One thing that messes all of that up, and it's called sin. Sin is a transgression of God's law. And that is why you must be born again. The sin that has separated you from God can be removed because God has sent his own precious son as your substitute sacrifice. See, we've 
We've broken God's law. We, we deserve punishment, but by trusting Jesus as our Savior, repenting of our sins, we can be born again. And that means we're free to live in the love of our Heavenly Father, the way a newborn baby lives in the love of mom. I want to encourage you this morning that if you know that you are separated from God because of your sin, that you come to Jesus, that you accept him and his payment on your behalf, that you have your sins washed away in his blood, that, that, that you allow him to forgive you, that you ask him to save you from those sins so that you can have a relationship with the Father. Look, he, he loves you so very much. How do we know this? Because there's not just an empty cross, but there's an empty tomb that proves his love and his power to save. Just as a mom wants the best for her kids. God the Father wants the best for you. Now that best is his son Jesus Christ. He offers him freely. But you've got to trust him. You've got to ask him to save you. Then, and only then, will that parent-child relationship be established between you and the Father. And he so dearly wants that relationship for you. He's provided everything necessary for that to happen. All you've got to do is come and trust him. So I'm going to ask you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. Hold on just a second. With your heads bowed this morning and your eyes closed because we don't want to embarrass anybody. If you know that you're separated from the Lord, if you know that your sins are in the way that, that if you know that you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, you just raise your hand, just put it up and say, Pastor, pray for me. Just put it up and put it down real quick. Okay, I see that hand. Are there any others? If you know that you're separated from God because of your sins, say, Pastor, pray for me. Hand up and hand down. All right, thank you. Keep your heads bowed, please, as we pray. Father, we want to thank you. Thank you for this one with the, with the raised hand. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work to convict him of their sins, to draw them. I pray, Father, that you would work till Christ be formed in them. Lord, you so love them beyond what any words can comprehend. And I pray, Father, that as we uh, go into the next time of our service, that, Father, you will work to draw. Father, can we also just express our thanks for our moms and, and, and our dads those that you placed in our life to, uh, to raise us, to, uh, you've used them to provide for us. Some of them have been good and some of them could have used improvement. But you have worked through them to bring us to this point in our life. 
where we can stand before you, pour our hearts out to you in thanksgiving. So even though at the time we did not understand everything our parents were doing, we want to say thank you to you for having worked all through our life to bring us here. Father, we thank you. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, you had another prayer request. That's okay. Okay, so um, at our closing prayer, uh, let's remember Ron with the triple bypass. Mike, could you come ahead, please, and let's uh, sing our closing hymn. Remember not to leave anywhere um, when the service is done. Amen. Okay, we could stay, stay put if you could. Let me see. I need, I need to get some volunteers here. Keith, I saw your hand. Um, Mike, I saw yours. If you could help me pass these out. Uh, one bag for each of the ladies. Let's go, ladies in, in uh, that are out of high school. And it looks like we'd have enough for uh, maybe two flowers for each of the ladies. So one bag and two flowers, gentlemen, if you would. Just kind of make your way back there. Try to make this as complicated as possible so the guys would have to work a little bit, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> and again, ladies, this is just a small token, a small expression of a thank you um, for all that you do, uh, not just here at the church, but in your families. Uh, I mean, you guys know we could never say thank you enough, right? That just can't happen. But Again, it's a small expression, and we do want to appreciate you, show our appreciation to you. So. <laughs>